0: Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in and through you.
1: Man, I grew up in a English family. How many of you guys have grown up, maybe not English, but in a very traditional home. Anyone? Yes, a very traditional home. Teenagers, don't raise your hand. Um, And as an English traditional family, there are expectations upon expectations upon expectations. Some are good, like the expectation was that I would play soccer, which is awesome. And so since the age of three, I played soccer, it was great. also an expectation is, come World Cup time, you're going to lose. Like, that's just the expectation. That's not funny. It's hurtful. But it is, it is kind of true. And anyways, this year should have been ours, but that's not, a, that's not important. There are expectations that are a little bit more difficult. You have expectations of what you're allowed to talk about and what you're not allowed to talk about. There are expectations of when you're at the dinner table, there's topics that you're allowed to talk about and really topics you're not allowed to talk about. And why are they different than when you're at the dinner table and not? I don't know. And do you guys know that there's certain ways to hold your cutlery? Every single piece of them? And there's different ones for different meals? Do you know as an eight-year-old boy, that's really difficult to understand? And I got in a lot of trouble over that stuff. It's, It's so interesting. And... Do you know that you have to eat peas? Individual peas. You turn your fork around, the back side of the fork. You know the fork side like this, not the shovel part. You're supposed to put you're supposed to put peas on the back of the fork. Right? How is that? Eight-year-old boy is supposed to put peas individually on the back of the fork? Are you serious, mother? I mean someone? <laughs> not harboring anything. And she's not here this weekend, that's not it. <laughs> but there's all these things, and it's, it's so interesting. And, and I, when I became a teenager and began to push back respectfully, um, not really, but um, I, would, I would always push back and ask questions like this, why? Why? And I don't know if you guys have been in this situation or your parents were similar. The answer was, because this is how we do it. Like the royal we. Like she just speaks for us. Like this is how we sit at the table. This is how we do. And I'm like, so I'm writing this message and I'm like, oh yeah, man, my mom was so hard on me. Oh, just going over the, the hard life that I lived in Oakville. Um, <laughs> and, and no word of a lie yesterday. My daughter does something and we go, Eloise, do not do that. And she's like, why? I'm like, we do not do that. I'm like, oh, I'm my mother. <laughs> After all these years of fighting and fighting, I am my mother. <laughs> no word of lie. We're having our meeting here today. Ellie runs somewhere, and I snap my fingers. Like, and if you were here last week, you know that's what my mother always did. I, it's so funny Anyways, this is for teenagers. The, the parent you fight the most is probably the one you're most like. But anyways, let's not listen to harbor there. But isn't that isn't that interesting that, that is isn't it often how we respond to questions of faith? Don't we ask, don't we respond like that? It's just what we do. See, we have rules and expectations as believers and and when somebody new comes into the family of God, they may ask us questions and we don't know answers and we answer It's what we do. Why do you raise your hand? It's what we do. Why don't you watch these movies? It's what we do. But I love it because in this passage that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 15 through 23, thank the Lord that he did not give us that answer. Last week, we ended on this passage. Um, So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians I'll be reading 13 and 14, verse 13 and 14, which is what we spoke about last week. He says this He has delivered, Paul is is writing this, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. That we're delivered, um, many scholars would rather it be um, rescued, um, not just delivered, but rescued from the dominion of darkness, that's sin and the devil. And transferred us, so he hasn't just rescued us out of darkness and left us alone in, in limbo. No, he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, who, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That is a crazy statement, and we ended last week saying, it is all about Jesus. Everything that Paul is writing is saying, listen... We can talk about rules, we can go all over over these things, but the most important thing that we understand is Jesus is at the core. He's the one who did it all for us. But what's so great is he doesn't just end there and just say, here's what he's done, and somebody asks him why, and he just says, it's what we do. He actually begins to unpack who Jesus is. So up to this point, we have read through kind of the introduction, the beginning of the book. We have taken four weeks and unpacked the beginning of the book. He starts off with a greeting, then he starts off with a two-part prayer. Uh, We looked at the thanksgiving of the prayer one week. We looked at last week, a heartfelt prayer. And then he begins, his opening remarks are these remarks starting in verse 15. So let's go ahead and read it. I'm going to read from the ESV today. And I wanted to do that because... um, The New Living Translation is a a translation of thought for thought. And there's other translations that are word for word. And sometimes the word for word translations are a little bit confusing when you read them. They don't quite, because Greek doesn't read like English. So when you translate it, it's a little bit confusing. And so I really love the thought for thought because it helps us grasp in our everyday reading the thought of what God is trying to get across to us. But today, I really want to jump into some of the the words that are being used. And so I wanted to use the ESV, which is more of a literal word for word. And so today, I'm going to ask you to strap up. And and if you're taking notes, we have eight points. And I promise not to be longer than 10 minutes on each point. Just kidding. (laughs) This is going to be quick. But I do think that this is important for us to just really grasp the depth of what Paul is saying about Jesus because it is the foundation of our faith. It's Jesus. So verse 15, he says this. Paul is writing from prison to a church in Colossae, a small church, insignificant church in regards to the Roman world. And he says, opening remarks after his greeting, his prayer, he says, he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible Man, Paul just lost, he just he just dropped an A bomb on the false teachers. Now remember, okay, we're looking at Colossians and here's what's happening in the in the church of Colossians. They have a pastor, Epaphras, who's come in and told them the gospel, planted the church. Then they've had false teachers who come in and they have said, hey, Epaphras is great, but he's only told you half of the gospel. Jesus is great, but actually, we need to add some things to him. Here are some rules that you should follow. Oh, and he is just another God within other gods. So you can add him to kind of the, the whole thing. And there's, there's things that you need to add about how you act and how, and how you treat things and other rituals that you should follow. And so they're in this controversy and they are confused, royally confused. They do not know what to believe because they've seen the fruit of Epaphras' gospel that he preached. But these are well-spoken men who understand the Old Testament and understand how to articulate their thoughts and they are confused. And so Paul is writing this letter to solve the issue. And again, we have to remember that there is actually someone standing up in the congregation on a Sunday like this saying, Hey, you are confused. Paul the apostle, the one who was transformed from terrorist to apostle, is written not just to a church, but directly to our church. And so he wants to help us with our difficulties. He wants to help us with our controversy. He wants to help us with our confusion. And this is where we get this letter. And in his first argument, he says this. Hey, before I get into he said, she said, what's right, what's wrong, I want to lay a foundation for you. That foundation is Jesus. Let me paint you a picture of who Jesus really is. The fullness of who Jesus is. And then let me ask you this question. When you hear what I just said about how Jesus is the beginning, he is everything, creator of everything, you tell me, false teachers, do you need to add anything to him? So he's not even engaging in the arguments yet. He just wants to say, before we get into the arguments, let's look at the fullness of who Jesus is. So we've got eight points that we are going to zip through. So if you're taking notes, good luck. Here we go. Ready? Point one. Jesus is fully God. So here is some, some truth that, that we have to understand. Jesus is fully man and fully God. But this is about 30 years after the passing of Jesus. There are eyewitnesses all over Judea. Jerusalem that have seen Jesus. So that he's not fighting over is Jesus a real person. They could ask people. And so what he's actually pinpointing is that, hey, look, we're gonna start from the very beginning. I need you to understand something: that Jesus is fully God. And so let's look at verse 15. He says this: Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. The Bible often says in the Old Testament that that God is invisible. He He cannot be seen. But what's great is when Jesus steps on the scene, we are able to begin to see what God is like. John, in the Gospel of John, if you want to turn with me, it's in John 14, 7 through 9. Jesus says these words. John 14, 7 through 9. He says these words. If you know me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip asks him, how have we seen him? Fair question. Verse nine says this. If you have seen me, you have seen the father. You know, there's, there's this actual fashionable argument within theology nowadays that's actually pretty it seems like it's pretty hip, um, that Jesus never said that he was God. That it wasn't until later, much later, that people began to put that on him. I'm sorry, did you read the part where they wanted to kill him? (laughs) They didn't want to kill him because he served needy people. They didn't want to kill him because he taught Good teachings. They didn't want to kill him because of different things he did, the healings he did. They wanted to kill him because he said he was God. It's interesting, when, when they bring him before the council, Jesus makes this statement about being the Son of Man. For us, we're like, okay, yeah, Son of Man, that's a title, okay. No, 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 no. And these, these Pharisees knew their Old Testament. They almost had memorized it. They didn't have to go, oh, wait a second as I scroll through. No, they had memorized. This culture that they lived in, they didn't have Google, so they couldn't get information like we could. So they memorized things. And when he said, the Son of Man, it harkened back to when Daniel talked about a vision of the Son of Man coming. And he was going to be God. And it was for them in that moment, they say, why do we need other witnesses? We have seen what he has said about himself. He is saying he is God. Come on. To say that, to say that Jesus doesn't believe he's God, that, that's actually just bad theology. You don't, you're not reading the Gospels. Look at the Gospel of John in the I Am statements. Normal people do not say that. You know, you meet someone at work, hi, my name's Alex, I'm doing this, oh, what do you do? I am the bread of life. We're cool. Hi, I'm Alex, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of this. You meet this guy at the gym, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I bench press this and I'm the resurrection and the life. You're like, that's a normal statement. Those are not normal statements that n- humans make about themselves. The, he is saying that I am the resurrection and the life. There is only one way that you can come to the Father to eternity. It comes through me. I am the light of the world. That is a crazy statement. Light represents salvation and transformation, and this is what Jesus is saying. If you want those things, it's found in me. So clearly, Jesus believed that he was fully God. Paul continues, verse 19 in Colossians. And if, if you were wondering and saying, you know, that word image, it also it says in the beginning um, that men and women were made in the image of God. So maybe that's, he's just more meaning like a reflection or like, you know, the image. Uh, no, no, no. Maybe, maybe you're, we're just meaning something smaller than equal to. Listen to this. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That word fullness, it harkens back to the word that was used for when the fullness of God filled the temple, when they had the temple or the, or the tabernacle and God's presence filled the temple. See, it is, it is this idea that, that he walked fully as God. And you say, wait, wait, wait. You said he's fully man and fully God. How does that work? Yep. It's something that's beyond us. But isn't it good to have a God that is beyond our understanding sometimes? I'm not saying that we should be simpletons, but I'm saying there are things about a God that is bigger than us that we would have a hard time understanding. And so we believe that he was fully man and fully God. He continues in in later in on on the chapter. He says this chapter 2 verse 9 in Colossians. He says this for in him the fullness of God, of deity, dwells bodily. Same thing, he's saying, listen, before we even get outside of any argument that I'm going to make, I need you to understand the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ and that he is fully divine. He is not some sort of first creation, or he's not some sort of half God, or like Hercules, a demigod. No, 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 no. He is fully God. And then Paul continues. This is is point two. Jesus is firstborn. Now, this one really messes with us. If you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your house and knock on your door, or met them at a park, this will be the verse that they go to To make you and me question our faith and what we believe of Jesus being fully God. Because clearly Paul's saying that he's firstborn, right? And in our context, in our understanding as North Americans and westernized culture, we think birth order. Firstborn, birth order. Eloise Jane is my firstborn. She changed my life. She is the firstborn of the Smethurst group. This is not how Hebrew, Old Testament Hebrew, understood firstborn. It's speaking of rank, not just birth order. So let me, let me, let's dive into this a little bit. They, it, in the Old Testament, it actually says that Israel is God's firstborn. In Ezra, in Jeremiah, and in uh, Exodus. It says those things. And then it also says that about... David, if you want to turn with me, it be on the screen as well. Psalms 89, 27. Speaking, God speaking of Daniel, or David, I'm sorry, King David, says this. I will make him my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. Oh, what about Abraham? So everyone else, Moses? Like all these people who came before David... David's really the firstborn? No, 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 clearly he's speaking of rank, the rank. And so when Paul says Jesus is the firstborn, he is not saying that he is a created being. Jehovah's Witness, which would be a cult and a, a diversion of Christianity, would say that Jesus is actually the first creation. He is is above creation, he is important, but he is not fully God. And Paul, and this is the verse they actually pick, but Paul is actually not saying that. He's saying that it's the rank of firstborn. Now the rank of firstborn is authority. This firstborn has the authority to take what is mine, says the father. He walks in the same authority as the father. It's so interesting. It's almost like the Bible was written from a divine perspective. That was a joke? It was. God wrote through man to man so that he could teach us. Look at the next point. So that's, that's point two. He is the firstborn. And remember, Jehovah's Witness push and say he is a, a kind of a God, not the God, but a God, little g. And said that he was created. Yes, he was the first created. And then after that, he worked. And, but here's what Paul says. The next verse. So point three is this. Jesus created all things. Verse 16 says, for if you're highlighting, you want to highlight. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created highlight through him and highlight for him verse 17 and he is before all things so let's look at these words okay cuz it is it is like paul knew of the false teaching of what Jehovah's Witness taught, and he wrote to that. It's crazy. He writes this. Let's look at, he is before all things. So if he was created, is he before all things? You can only say before all things if you are God. Because God would have been before him. So, so clearly, that statement, before all things, is about God himself. So he's saying that Jesus was before all things. I love, I looked up that word all there, just in case you're wondering. He created all things. That means all. <laughs> just in case you're wondering, that's what it means all. So it's not 99.9% of everything created, it means everything was created. Meaning, even if Jesus was created, he created himself. Oh, that starts getting weird. By and through. Paul is clearly stating that he is the builder of creation. Jesus is the one who did the working and the creating of all things. Meaning he just was, which can only be said of God. He existed from before and will exist forever. That can only be said of God and that is said of Jesus by Paul. Now let's, let's dive deep a little bit here into some unseen realm stuff. Some supernatural. Just, just stay with me. Don't get all weirded out. I promise you we're not going to go down this too far. I don't have the time. Um, he says this sorry I'm finding my place in heaven he created all things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things he is talking about not just this physical world he is talking about the spiritual world and let me tell you there are lots of theories about what happens in the spiritual world some really really weird ones But the important thing is not that we dive into those because to be honest, I'm not sure that we'll ever get the full scope of what happens in the spiritual world. It doesn't mean we don't look for discernment. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us into those truths and, and give us revelations. But I think sometimes when we get captivated by those things and not Jesus, we get captivated by the wrong thing. Jesus is the focus. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm saying all these things About the unseen realm. Because I want you to understand the hierarchy of the unseen realm. Sure, it's confusing. Let's get into the nuances. Oh man, that's overwhelming. Oh no, 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 no. I don't want you to get into the nuances right now. I want you to get into the head, the top, what everything is submissive to, and that is Jesus. And only could that be said of the real God. Everything that has been created was created for Jesus. So that means, this is good news. Why is this good news? Is it just theology for theology's sake so we can just be smart and sound really good? No, here's why it's really good. When we face trials, when we face trials, financial trials, mental trials, physical trials, marital trials... Even spiritual trials, we can come to this verse and say that all things were created by and through him, but they were all created for him and they are all submissive to him. So no matter what we are facing, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head, and He doesn't finish there. Like Jesus just built things, and then it's break time for Him. He's just kicking back. He's got his hard hat off, and He's just chilling. It actually says, that "Our next point is this: Jesus holds all things together." Now, sing it with me. He holds he, the whole world in His hands. He holds. He, oh my goodness! I'll save that for my wife and for Spencer. You guys can lead. That was terrible, but you get the point. And it's simple. It's a kids' song, but it's true. Now, I wrestled with this one really, really hard. Because in this world that we live in, we know so much about science. And it seems like, no, 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 no. Science holds the world in its balance. It's cool that you like Jesus. And I'm like, man, how do I, I'm not a science guy. How can I dive into science? Like, I'm going to be saying things that I don't understand. I dropped out of grade 11 biology. You just can't fake science. You actually have to work hard for it. Anyways. um, But I wonder how many of us know that Jesus holds all things together. And look, sometimes it's hard to understand that things that, that truth, until you're in a broken place where everything is falling apart around you and then you realize that you are being held by the creator of heaven and earth. See, he holds all things together. If your marriage is in this place, if it's breaking down, he holds it together. If you're walking through trials, he holds you together. He is the one who holds us together. He holds all the world the universe, but he holds us together. He is the one that we can run to and hold on to and know that truth comes from him and he has not left us, but he is there with us holding us in our moment of brokenness. This is good news. And then I love it because it's almost like these these ones are are, are so big, right? Like he created the whole world. Whoa, that's... How do I really, oh man, he holds everything together. Wow, I don't know. And then he brings it really practical. Verse 18, he says this. And he is the head of the church. Or sorry, he is the head of the body, the church. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul loves this analogy. The church is the body. He says it in Romans He says in Corinthians, he loves to use the image of the body as the church. And it's perfect for us. We are so in need and unified. We need each other to really function properly. Because if I am down, man, I need that text or that phone call from a, a friend who's just there to encourage me and let me know that I am not alone. Man, I need the body to give me a word sometimes that I don't want, but... The body's there to encourage me. And as I told you last week, I'm training for this tough mutter and my body is reminding me of how it's in submission to each other. My knees hurt more than they ever have and my body is paying for it. The entire body. But then Paul does something. He doesn't just talk about body as in unity. He says, hey, by the way, how does the body function? Where does does the intelligence come from? Where do the actions come from? They all come from the center, the head, and then the body does what the head wants. What a great picture. This is amazing. How am I up here, one foot in front of the other? How do I run? How do I move my arms, speak? All of it is happening because of my head. It's directing my body. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, we, the church, are simply the body. The body responds to the head. Here's the problem in our culture. Finish this statement for me. The customer is always... This seeps into our church. Not our church. The church as a whole. We come in with a consumeristic mentality that says, hey, I'm always right. Although, let me be honest, I'm never right. Like People will be like, no, that's not how it is. I'm like, what? Isn't the customer right? Yes, but not you. Like, oh like, okay. Right, but isn't it, isn't it true that that mentality, it seeps into the culture of the North American church and says, what is it that you offer me? Here's what we offer. Jesus. He's the head. He's the director. Here's, here's who's not the head. The staff. The pastoral staff, the the elder board, the committee of this, the, the new trend within churches, the this or that, those are not the head. Jesus Christ is the head and here's what I know as Mountain Park Church, we are submitted to the head. He directs us. We are under his lordship. We simply want to move as Jesus leads us to. Amen? Let me give you a hint of how to be a bad parent. (laughs) As my wife is holding my baby. Um, Get rid of the word no. Just tell your kid yes. Eloise asked me, hey, can I drive? Sure, babe. Three years old, this is a great idea. Dad, can we watch movies until really late? Yep, sleeps for chumps anyways. Right? The truth is, is that good leadership, good parents say hard things. And this is why at this church, we want Jesus to be the head. So that when we don't wanna hear, I don't wanna hear hard teaching. I don't wanna hear correction and pruning. The head says, I know better than you. Being three and driving a car is not a good idea. You can't explain that to a police officer. (laughs) Jesus is the head of the church. Number six, and this one should rock our world. We say it a lot. We have celebrations around it. Jesus is alive. He is not dead, but he is alive. We should get jacked up for that, and we should get excited because our God came to earth. He didn't just come to earth and walk with us through trials. And what's great about Jesus, it says that we actually serve a God who knows our difficulties, who has walked through our situations. Not only do we know that, but we know that he overcame death and is alive and seated in heaven. This is exciting news. Jesus is alive. And here's what Paul says. He says, he is the beginning You can't be the beginning if you began. Going back to the argument before. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent first. The firstborn from the dead. The good news is he rose from the dead and he actually made a way for us to not have to die. Listen, death, I always try to teach my teenagers this. I don't have teenagers, the teenagers that I'm, that I pastored over. Um, that this, that that you should not be afraid of death, because it is not the ending, but the true beginning. I say this. I say, listen. Do you really stress about when school gets out and summer comes? They say no. They're excited. Why are you excited? Because summer rocks. School is not so good. They use a different word, but. That's how we should think about it. When the bell rings and we get called home, Jesus was the firstborn who rose from the dead, making a way for death no longer to have victory over us, but us, we can walk in that same way and be free. Jesus is alive. Anybody excited about that? And then number seven, I'll invite the band up. Jesus is is reconciler. is not really a word, but we'll make it work. It just works with the points, okay? Give me a break. Jesus is reconciler. Verse 20, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of his cross. I love it. The word that he uses here for reconcile is a Greek word that I won't try to butcher. Um, But translation, it's two words put together. It says this. First word is finishing and completion. Second word, the exchange of hostility for a friendship relationship. Reconcile. This is what Jesus did for us. Ever since Adam and Eve began our rebellious ways, our heart has been the issue, not our actions. This is why when we try to reform people by by changing their actions, it's actually wrong. It's a heart transformation that has to happen. And only Jesus dying on the cross could reconcile that heart that was Away And listen to what Paul says in verse 21. He actually gives us a very clear picture of who we are when we are far from Jesus. When we don't have a relationship with Jesus, here's what Paul says. He says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's who we were when we are far from God alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Then he says, here's what happened when I reconciled you to the Father. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy. That means set apart for God. You are now, you went from being alienated to now set apart for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not alienated, but in the court, set aside, holy, set apart for God. Hostile in mind, doing evil, he says this, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. Man, there's a lot of blame I can take. But he says, because of his reconciliation, Because Jesus, I can be blameless, above reproach, before him, before God. Before God, we can go in and actually not have shame. Man, I have reason for shame. But Jesus, the reconciler. My heart was rebellious and far from him, but Jesus, he made a way through his blood so that I can go before, as Hebrews said, boldly go before the throne of heaven, seen as blameless, as holy. This is good news. And so I want to invite us, we're going to end with communion. Because communion is how we remind ourselves of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I'll invite those who are are, uh, handing out the communion, to come forward and grab the communion. Here's what we're going to do. I would ask you in this time. Not to think about the pot roast that is on the crock pot. Not about what dinner reservations you have. But let's take a moment and let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on what matters. Jesus. See because here's what's real. All of us are walking through things in our lives. And we need Jesus. Jesus. We need Jesus to be in that situation. And it is because of the cross that he has reconciled us to the Father and that we actually don't have to be in submission to the things of this world but actually be in submission to the King of Kings who has authority over this world. And so what we're gonna do, you can go ahead and hand it out, team. I'm gonna ask you to hold the bread, representing his body, hold the cup, representing His blood. And as we sing a song of worship, let's keep our mind on Christ and what He did for us.
0: We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.